Hello and welcome to the More to Life podcast. I am your host, Elle Mace, and today we are joined by the lovely and wonderful Catherine Harold, who is a writer and is also just launching her own podcast. Hi, Catherine. Hi. Hello, you how are you? I'm doing really well. Good, uh, amazing. So just give a little bit of an introduction as to like who you are, a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm a screenwriter. I live in Los Angeles, California, which is a total cliche. Um, and uh, yeah, I have quite a varied background. I've been an entrepreneur and done a whole bunch of things, but I live in LA. I'm a writer. I'm in this magical community of humans and have decided to start a podcast about magic. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Amazing. Magic. Love that. So you don't mind me sharing that you are a previous client of mine. We worked together for a while on, you know, mainly things around food and the body and and the disordered eating piece. But the reason that you've come to join us today is because you are going to share your story of your relationship with your mum, because you had a very uh, difficult relationship with your mum. You had a, a narcissistic mother. Um, and so this is going to be amazing. Um, so thank you for being so vulnerable and open to sharing. And also, I'm guessing what people will see as as you kind of go through your story is the link between having such a difficult relationship with your mom and then your coping mechanisms, which was for you, you know, the, the, the food piece, the, the disordered eating. Um, but yeah, so mm, when do we swear do we start? There is a, there is quite a high link between our relationship with food our relationship with our body and our and our, our self-worth and our self, self-esteem and our relationship to our parents. So, you know, actually I do have a lot of clients who do have uh, difficult parents, whether they are difficult, the relationship's difficult. And certainly the word narcissistic does keep keep coming up here. So this yeah. is going to be, this is going to be a really interesting conversation. So let's start with you telling us about your relationship in a nutshell with your mom. And then I'm going to dive in with some questions. Oh boy, my relationship in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think the simplest way to explain my relationship with my mom is to think of the fairy tale Rapunzel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just put that in the modern day. Um, so yeah, I mean, quick like scan of my family. My mom was married four times. She had four ch- children. I was the the youngest. And by the time I came around, my dad was her, her last husband. Um, and they didn't stay, t- they stayed together for like maybe a year after I was born um, because she was extremely controlling and, <laughs> and very difficult to live with. Um, and, you know, my dad carried his own pieces of that as well. I don't want to lay it all on her shoulders. Um, and so, and also like all of my siblings ran away from home when I was a baby and went back to live with like either their dad or their stepdad. And so I grew up with it just being like, just me and my mom. Mm. And, um, you know, if you look at the difference between how my, my, I responded to how my siblings responded, I think that was like a key factor is like, it was just me and her. Mm. Um, and so yeah, when I was about five, there was, you know, this like large custody battle started between my mom and my dad. And, um, you know, I think one of the most 
damaging things my mom did was like force me to push my dad away. Um, I like, I think one time expressed like, I feel kind of strange around my dad and, you know, and my dad was a little like, God love him. He's passed away. And so I, I, you know, I love him so much and we made peace, but he was, you know, emotionally distant at that time in his life. He hadn't worked through his own stuff. So I think I was just expressing that to my mom and, um, she just like grabbed hold of that and she was going to save me from him and like had me literally like tell him you're not my father. We were Christians. And so she's like, you had like, I had the script, like you're not my father. My father is in heaven and you're from the devil. Mm. And yeah. Imagine telling that to your dad when you're getting in the car to go on a visit that's court mandated. Yeah. Not awkward at all. Um, and so, yeah, that lasted from about five to 10, I think five to 10, 11, somewhere in there. And it was this endless cycle of like me going with my dad, holding that line for like two or three hours. And then I would crumble and I would actually have fun with my dad. And then I would get home and I would be honest with my mom. And then she would emotionally distance from me. And then I would have to beg her forgiveness. And it was just a lot. And that was like five to 10. Um, And yeah. And then there was just, I mean, I don't want to give you like my whole bio, but there was just a lot of like keeping me isolated. You know, when I was uh, in seventh grade, she pulled me out of school and started homeschooling me. Um, She like, and again, it was always to save me because I was being bullied. And so, you know, instead of like teaching me how to cope with that, she just pulled me out and started homeschooling me. And then, you know, then like purity culture comes around and she decides she's going to pick my husband and I'm not allowed to date. And I mean, like literally like betrothal, like I, you know, me and a goat gets handed to some guy. Mm. Um, and that really lasted till I was about 21. And then we moved to Fort Worth, Texas to be part of a church And uh, about less than a year after we moved to Texas, my sister committed suicide. Um, And that was really when, well, let me back up a little bit just to give context for the disordered eating. Um, Eating was always disordered in my house. Like when we, when I was a baby, she was a super strict vegetarian up until about five or six. And so like all sorts of like processed foods and sugar is evil and white flour is evil. And, you know, my first ice cream was tofuti. Um, (laughs) And so, so like that was my childhood. And then at some point it like switched to like her, like really getting into all the Southern food. We're living in South Carolina and it's, you know, or sorry, North Carolina. And there was just a lot of eating and then fasting and then eating and then fasting and then eating and then fasting. And when I was homeschooled, there were like binge days where we just did nothing but eat, you know, it's like, Oh, we're just going to watch movies. Um, and so I was a chubby teenager, as you might imagine. (laughs) And when I got to, when, when my sister committed suicide and that just like rocked me because, um, yeah. Like I had prayed so hard for her and for our family. And I just felt like, gosh, I literally, like, I remember literally thinking like, I have got to take control of my life. Life is short. 
and like time is a waste. And, and so the only thing that I could control at that point, um, was my body and what I put in it. And so that was really when the anorexic side of the eating disorder started. And so I started restricting and I started working out a ton and, um, it was insane. Uh, and you know, at this point you think like, well, you're 21 years old. Why can't you control more? And it's so hard to describe, but my mom had just raised me with so much control. Mm. Um, I was constantly hearing, you know, like you're not an honorable daughter. If you were just an honorable daughter, everything in our house would be, you know, uh, would be great. And like scriptures were getting used against me. And I'm a very like, I'm not a Christian anymore, um, which we can get into, but, uh, but still very much believe in one creator and source and I'm very spiritual. So I have that side to me. I've always had a very spiritual side and it was really easy to use that against me. Um, and so, yeah, we got to, I got to 21 and that really took root. Um, and long story short, I mean, we started a business together and all sorts of stuff. Everything was enmeshed. I was basically like her spouse. You know, we, my, both of our names were on the mortgage. I didn't have my own checking account until I was 35 years old. I, you know, she had a hold of all of my credit cards, um, opened up a ton of credit cards in my name. (laughs) Um, so it was just very, very enmeshed. And when I was 34, I, through a long series of events, finally woke up and started talking to somebody and had literally never like voiced anything to anyone. I'd always been my mom's protector. I'd always been the one that like kept everybody from attacking her. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. That was a big dynamic. Um, And so for the first time, like, I remember being so conflicted about talking to anybody, but I did. And when I did, like I ended up getting told like, this is manipulation and control. And I was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. I mean, everything she's not, she's been telling me isn't like the gospel truth. And it was so interesting because my, I now know, like my body knew the whole time. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And that was, rem- that was my question too. My next question was, uh, do you think at any point from zero, well, you know, two or three or whatever, to 34 deep down you knew this wasn't right or did you feel like it was completely normal relationship no I mean here's the best way that I can describe the dynamic like I definitely especially when I reached about 12 years old I definitely started being like this is weird you know um I think my mom was my hero up until well, right after the custody battle, actually, I remember, um, you know, she had told me, like, if I push my dad away, everything would be good. And I had. And so he had finally given her custody. And I remember the first time that I did something she didn't like after that, then she sent to, she threatened to send me to live with him. And that was when I like something snapped in me. I stopped trusting her. Mm-hmm. And and at the same time, I was it was the religious thing. It was the spiritual aspect of it that really kept me looped in because I was like, you know, I mean, there's so many scriptures, honor your father and your mother, uh, you know, like, you know, obey uh, the obedience commandment, you know? So like all of that in the culture that I was in is what I think really 
like kept me so under wraps and really just trying to please God. Mm. And yet at the same time, like in my teenage years and in my twenties, I, I was more of the parent than she was in so many ways. It was a very interesting dynamic. So I wasn't always like laying down and taking everything in a lot of ways. I was like, it's almost like a, you know, codependent would treat an alcoholic, you know, it's like, cause my mom was sick. Also, that's another aspect. She was like massively sick. So I was literally nursing her all the time. So there's this dynamic of like, you know, me cleaning up the, pardon my French shit. (laughs) when She like, can't make it to the toilet, you know? So there's, it's really, it was very strange. Yeah. And yet she always had that psychological control over me. Yes. Yeah. So I, but when I woke up, I remember it being like, cause it literally was like a switch. I was like, oh, now my life makes sense. Mm, Like I I called the woman that, that I had talked to and I told her, I was like, this makes so much sense now, you know? Yeah. So at that, that day when, you she had won the custody battle and you did something and she said I'll send you to your father and something clicked within you the following period days weeks months or whatever years did you show any signs to her that you were on to her like that you weren't so kind of just like surrendering to her and if if you did was she then becoming more kind of out of control or, or, or was there then a, a, a shift with her as well? Yeah, there was definitely a shift. I don't know that I would say that I was on to her. Mm. Like I had no clue she was a narcissist. I had no clue I was being, I couldn't have put the words to it to say I'm being controlled and manipulated. Yeah. What I did feel was this is incredibly unfair. Like you promised me something. I did exactly what you said and now you're breaking your word. Mm. And, and the thing is, it's so hard to describe with a narcissist because they're really like, it's like voodoo, (laughs) you know? So like, even though I'm aware, like you're breaking your word, they have this way of convincing you that they're doing it because you're so screwed up. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I would be the perfect mother if you weren't such a shitty child. Pardon my, am I said okay to cuss? No, yeah. Okay. Way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, I remember actually like this, the perfect example of this was when everything was crumbling when I was 34. I remember looking at her and literally saying the words, mom, I'm just asking you to unconditionally love me. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to know you'll love me no matter what. Because she was like making it all about, you know, if you don't give up this guy friend that you have, then we're done, which was ridiculous because you anyway, that's a whole other story. But she looked at me and I looked at her and I said that and she looked at me and she said, it is the job of the child to unconditionally love the parent first. And that frees up the child to love the parent or sorry, frees up the parent to love the child unconditionally, which she genuinely believed. Yeah. And so was that her narrative growing up? Yeah. So the interesting part with my mom, I wish I knew more. Um, I think she's disassociated like so completely because when people bring up her father, especially she gets very like, I remember watching my aunt one time just apologize and say, I'm sorry for the way you grew up. And my mom got super defensive 
And she literally like her like programmed line is my my dad hung the moon. Um, I have thoughts and I've talked to a couple of people that knew her when she was younger. Um, and I also found this is interesting, too. She left when everything crumbled. She like left all of her like mom and toes and stuff in the bathtub of the house that we used to live in. And so I'm like, you know, sifting through all this stuff. And I found a stack full of letters from her dad to her mom before and after they were married and to like 1930 something, you know, um, and the tone, the tone of the letters was exactly the tone of my mother. I remember reading it and being like, okay, Mm. but that's all I have to go on. So yes, in answer to your question, yes, but I don't have a lot of specifics. I know she went through trauma and I know that what she, what she received, I have some, I don't even want to say what I think happened because I don't have any proof and that's her story. But, um, yeah, I think she went through a really rough time. Yeah. So with that small amount of insight that you have, what I have found, uh, you know, in just working with people and, and and life in general is that you there's often a pull between feeling really sorry for them and like mm-hmm. understanding why they are the way they are um, and then being like, but I need to break away and kind of almost staying in it because, you, you know, that they're, they're, they're traumatized, they've got their own problems. So mm-hmm. did you find that 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 day when you broke it off, did you feel this huge pull between feel sorry for her and I and actually like I need to to be there for her because she's kind of broken. So I have to go for myself. Yeah. I mean, funny story, to, you know, speak to my spiritual side. I um I mean, what you just, the dynamic, I'll say this, the dynamic you just described was my twenties and thirties. Yeah. (laughs) No, I think that's exactly what it was. Like there was this part of me that knew, like, especially towards the end, she got really, really, um, yeah, it was just really bizarre at the end and, um, you know, like stalking me and breaking into my Facebook account and, you know, just all kinds of stuff and like literally following me around the house, like like while I'm getting dressed for work and won't, it was just, it was weird. Um, and by that point, then yes, there's this real part of me. That's like, man, you're something is like really wrong here. Um, and I, you know, at this point I'm still like very much in the church model. So I would have said God, um, and still would like God source, I remember very clearly hearing, I was taking a walk and I remember very clearly, clearly hearing she needs to learn to rely on me. And so you need to leave, mm. which was the perfect thing to tell a really, really codependent person because, <laughs> because if God had said to me, you need to leave because you need to learn to, to stand on your own two feet, I'd have tried to figure out a way to stay and, and do that. Yeah. But because I knew that it would be better for her if I left, mm. that gave me the strength. Because after I told her I was leaving, like I would wake up and she'd be sitting on my bed crying and be like, don't let this tear us apart. Don't let this tear us apart. And, you know, it just she threatened to call the cops on me the next night. Like it was like very hard 
to actually get out of that house once I once I said I was leaving because she really, really tried to convince me and manipulate me into staying. Um, but I had that line, that thing to keep going back to, um, which I'm so grateful to the divine for that because otherwise I don't think I would have left. Yeah, yeah, that twist on it, that that play on words has kind of helped you to to make that decision to go. But it also sounds like, you know, you were pushed to a level that a lot of people don't may, might not get to where they're in a very toxic relationship because a person's a narcissist, whether it's a parent or a, a or a romantic relationship. But it's never pushed so far with you that it was like kind of like this is so crazy that I have to go. It's a kind of step before that where it's like where it's still con- total confusion and total yeah. like maybe it will be okay, maybe it will change. And that like really awful point where there's like, where someone just stays. Yeah. Well, and I think the key to that is what, what I mentioned earlier. I think when you're, when you're in a relationship with a narcissist, again, their superpower is making you think that you're the problem. Yeah. So that's literally what kept me there so long. I truly, as much as I could look at her and see like, oh, this is not right. I truly believe that if I fixed myself, then she would change. And, and I think that's what keeps most people in, in any kind of abusive relationship, whether it's, you know, physically abusive, emotionally, sexually, any of those kind of things, what the abuser does is they project their shame onto you. They project their brokenness onto you mm-hmm. and you internalize it. Yeah. And because, you know, and that's what, separates a codependent from a narcissist the narcissist projects and the codependent absorbs you know and it literally is the same wound just a different response yeah like the narcissist has experiences the same thing they're getting conditionally loved they're being denied connection and love and all of that kind of stuff it's just the way that their psyche responds is what makes it different yeah um but i think like yeah, I think the key to to reaching the point where you can leave is is recognizing like de-externalizing that and recognizing that actually you're not the problem. And it is tricky if they don't get like as bizarre as my mom got at the end. That's it, isn't it? It's almost easier that she really lost it. Yeah, which again, you know, I do believe in like some guiding force that really helps us out in life and the circumstances that came into my life. You know, I met a guy that I was attracted to and it just literally over the span of a year just drove her nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was the first thing I wouldn't let go of. I had always let go of everything else, you know, going to college and, you know, creativity and dating and singing and all these things, dreams that I had had, I had always just given them up. And for some reason, my internal, my insides were like, not this time. And so the, and I guess I would say to anybody who thinks they're in a codependent relation or sorry, a narcissistic relationship, that is the best way to find out. Like if you just start not caving the way that you used to cave and you can do it on tiny things. And then you watch their response because that's when, you know, a narcissist is when you start setting a boundary, Mm. their response to it is what's going to tell you 
whether or not you're really dealing with somebody that you that you really should get away from. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So this is gonna, this might, yeah, I'm wondering if you've got any examples here, but there's obviously some obvious examples that, well, seem quite obvious to us, like stalking you, breaking into your Facebook and stuff. But can you give any examples to anyone listening who might be in a relationship or, you know, or, you know, a parent or whatever, whoever, where they're more subtle that actually in the moment you saw it as, as love and and trust or whatever but on reflection now you're like ah yeah that was that was that was kind of like sly that was a kind of like um more covert rather than the kind of really obvious behaviors that happened yeah totally um a couple of things are coming to my mind the subtle ones are harder harder to pick up but I would say one of the ways that you can really tell with a narcissist is it's that love they, they, well, it's so typical. They do this love bombing thing, Mm. usually at the very beginning of the relationship. Um, if it's a parent, you know, then that's a little harder to track, but there's this love bombing thing where like, you are the sun in the sky, (laughs) you know, and (laughs) you are like the most amazing thing and there's presence and there's, you know, all this kind of thing. And this cycle will happen repeatedly. So then there's that phase and then the love gets withdrawn Mm -hmm. and that's literally how they control you. They, it's like, they get you, they just bomb you with something that every heart is wired to want. Yeah. And then when they withdraw it, that's literally what puts the seed in your mind that you're, that you're the problem. So, you know, a real life example of that with my mom would be, you know, I remember when I was younger, I think one of the, yeah, like my sisters would come visit, for instance. And, you know, when my sisters weren't there, I was like the golden, you know, I was the sun and the moon all in one. And then my sisters would come and things would inevitably get tense between them. Um, And then it just became this like, this is the the manipulative thing. Like she never actually, well, sometimes she did. She would like literally tell me, go out there and like talk to them, tell them they need to honor me, you know? Or the more subtle version of that would be like, she just kind of start pouting and I would know that she was upset. And so then I would on my own, she would like start pouting and like not talk to me either. And so then on my own, I would go out there and defend her because I'm like, oh, well, like I need to I need to get her to be okay." And I do think that's one of the more subtle things that narcissists do is it's not really subtle. It's actually super toxic. But the silent treatment. Oh, my gosh. As you're talking, I'm literally like, hell yes. The silent treatment Mm -hmm. can be so toxic. It's maddening. I remember being seven years old and she hadn't talked to me for three days and she was driving me to school and I was literally bawling my eyes out because I knew like I was so anxious. I couldn't concentrate in school. Mm. And and that dynamic was like all the time. You know, I remember being 32, 33 years old and at work and like she wouldn't answer my emails or my phone calls. And at this point, we're like running a business together and I actually needed to talk to her. (laughs) And And so it just was like maddening. It was like trying to, and that would be, I guess, like a, when you're in it, 
Mm. I realized because that was what I grew up in. I didn't know that wasn't how mothers communicated with their children, you know? <laughs> and I guess, you know, now let's say, you know, you, you guys picked up your relationship or there's someone else that gives you the silent treatment, you knowing what you know now and, you know, emotionally resilient and all the rest of it, would be like, okay, off you go, come back to me when you're ready. And you would have zero kind of like self um you know thinking that this was anything to do with you this is just someone else's coping mechanism totally I will say that took about four or five years to work out of my system though yeah definitely because back then you are just in what have I done I've obviously done something wrong but also it's not even just like thinking you've done something wrong it's desperately trying to get them to talk to you it's desperately trying to get them to give you the attention that you well not no it's not the attention that you need the reassurance that you guys are okay. Yeah. Um, so did you- I would say, yeah. can I just put one more thing in there? I would say also with a narcissist, a really subtle but but sure clue is if they're always in distress. Mm. Like they're always, they, it's interesting because like they're always the victim. So if if you're in a relationship and there's all these other signs and you're also noticing that like your partner or your parent can't get along with other humans, yeah. like everyone's always wronging them somehow. Yeah. Um, that's a real sure clue. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And with, with also, did you notice your mom with the silent treatment? Like if you was, if it was something that like, well, I say you have done in, in you know, quotations, if it was something that was to do with you two, you two had had a falling out disagreement or something had gone on with you, she would give the silent treatment. But would she also, if something didn't go right for her in life, nothing to do with you, whether it was mm-hmm. something to do with a, another member of family or work or a neighbor or whatever, it was you that got the silent treatment again. Not as much. Like I remember when she got, she got fired from her job. We both worked at, at this ch- large church together and she got fired. So that's a good example. Had nothing to do with me. Yeah. Um, the manipulative part of that was like her crying to me and whining about like, you know, well, I say whining, but really painting the the people that we worked for to be the villains so that I got like, again, kind of twisted into the position of having to be her defender mm. and actually ended up quitting that job, which was a really nice job yeah. <laughs> and, and going into business with her, you know, by ourselves, which was chaos, but <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. a good idea at the time. <laughs> uh, again, one of those things that I like prayed about, but I was so clearly messed up on that one. Yeah. Um so I think it's more that, like when they feel that the the outside world has victimized them, then oftentimes, again, think about like with a, with an abu- a physically abusive husband, they're going to put the wife in the position of having to defend them to the family. Mm. So if it or, you know, the job or whatever, like it's more the dynamic. I mean, there's the silent treatment that really did have more to do with like me or if I failed and then on top of that, there's the, you're here to, to protect me from the world, essentially. Mm, yeah. Oh, gosh. That like, just listening to this, I'm like 34 years of like psychological abuse. It is. 
And so, like, when you that afterwards, you're like, right, okay, goodbye. Obviously, you 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 separated from your mom. Um, were you left with more like upset that it was over, or were you left with more like regret that you had had your entire life like at that point taken or taken from you? You know, you couldn't even have relationships or anything. So, mm-hmm. what was the kind of main feeling when you did when you made that break? Uh, definitely the regret. Mm. Um, yeah, I regret and relief. I mean, honestly, like it got so bad at the end. She was so cruel, um, that she really made it that part easy after, after I said I was leaving easy. It emotionally, it was not, it actually took me a really long time to really grieve the relationship because she had made it so terrible. Mm. Um, but I definitely was overwhelmed with a lot of like, oh my God, you know, I, I just massively felt like I needed to catch up in life. I hadn't gone to college. I hadn't dated at this point. I hadn't had, I had never been kissed. I, you know, there were so many like rites of passage that I just never had. Um, I wasn't allowed to even socialize without her in, in my teenage years. So I never went to a party like that or, you know, I just didn't have the chance to learn my own lessons and, and grow, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was the scariest. And, and I would say until maybe like a year or so ago was still the worst part is just this feeling of being so far behind and needing to catch up. Mm-hmm. And, and also not trusting myself because I did stay for so long. Mm. That's been the biggest nut to overcome because you're violating your own boundaries over and over again. Yeah. And then when you throw into the mix, your probably your biggest number one coping mechanism was your eating disorder. You know, when you mm-hmm. throw that into it, I mean, you know, someone um, getting over healing, kind of like recovering from an eating disorder is one enormous life challenge, which some people, you know, don't get there. Um, but you had to, to to do that because you, you know, obviously you got to a place where you're like rock bottom, which everyone does of an eating disorder because it just steals your life. So you're having mm-hmm. to do that and mourn the, the relationship with your mom and figure out what the fuck that was. Like yeah. <laughs> repeat everything that ever happened in your life and sort of re relearn everything. So and just going back to, to the eating disorder piece, anyone you know listening who who does have a coping mechanism during times of of, of stress or just in in life, yeah. you know, actually, when you do reflect back, kind of, it really served you having having that relationship with food, even though it sounds completely messed up, whether it was binging or restricting, it was so your, did both guys. <laughs> yeah, you you are the the shebang like myself. Yeah, um, you it was your one and only escape from your mom. Like literally your one and only, you didn't have a friend, you didn't have a partner, you didn't have anything. So it was your one and only get out from your, from your mom. Totally. And I, I remember like after I left, um, cause there was a lot of binging just before I left. Like we were on this crazy diet and part of it was like, you literally binge for two days and then eat 500 calories a day for like four weeks or something. And so (laughs) we would like binge the two days and then like make it three or four days into the diet and then be like, Oh, we're going to start 
tomorrow and like binge two more days, you know? So like, it was terrible. So then when I finally got away, like that was such an ingrained part of my pattern, first of all. And then I started like normalizing a little bit and just trying to figure out what normal was for me. But I remember anytime I would really hit like a pain point in my recovery, you know, cause I'm going to therapy at this point and I'm like in recovery groups and, and anytime I would really hit something, I would find myself in the cabinet late at night, like stuffing my face till it hurt, like till my belly hurt, you know? Um, and that was when I realized like, oh, okay, this is a problem that I now have. That you, yeah, yeah that actually you've separated from your mom. There's a separation now from that relationship, which will take time and all that. But your eating disorder very much was still there. Hello, oh, yeah. best yeah. friend. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, you know, and you, but you've done absolutely amazing. You know, your journey into recovery and, you know, well, maybe still recovering, et cetera, but has been has been amazing. Thank you. Well, and I will say I recently realized like what you said about it being an ally, like not only was it like my comfort and my coping mechanism and my way to stay sane, probably um, through what I would just describe as 30 years of chaos. Um, I also believe that like the challenges that we have in life are like, they truly are our greatest teachers. Mm -hmm. And both of those challenges, my mom, my relationship with my mom and the eating disorder have taught me and are teaching me, I'm still learning about trusting myself. Mm -hmm. And, and I've realized that 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 voice that is even still in my head sometimes is trying to poke me so that I will get to the truth of my own voice, which is behind that wall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's really the journey, I think. Yeah. And, you know, you are you are one of the lucky ones who is had had the realization made the very brave moves, but is also you know, has huge growth and self-development. And now, you know, when we, we chat about what you're up to and all the things you're doing, like, you know, you're really making up for that lost time and, you know, you're absolutely thriving. So, you know, it's so good that you've, you've, you've got, you've given yourself that opportunity, you know, to, to go out into the world now, which sadly, I'm sure some people never do, or it goes on another, you know, 10, 15 years. But just mm -hmm. as like a final question then, when well, there's going to be a million top tips you can give somebody but for anyone who is oh gosh I've got so many end, end questions but for anyone who is kind of like in it with a narcissist at the moment or fresh out of it trying to get out of it what would be your kind of like number one top tip mm. yeah I know I'm thinking oh my god this so many <laughs> can I give one for if you're in it and one if for it, if you're yeah in yeah two different things yeah um I would say if you're in it and you know you're in it first of all um well done you <laughs> like you've already won the gold medal if you actually recognize that this is a, an unhealthy narcissistic relationship yeah and then I think my top tip would be find what really matters to you in life. Mm. What are you willing to stand up for? 
Mm. And in, in however you can do that, start standing up for it. Start saying no or yes or whatever it means. You know, like I said, for me, it was being attracted to this guy. And I don't know why that meant so much. Well, I mean, I was 34. It's probably my biological clock. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. like there's there's got there's got to be something where you start pushing back. Yeah. It doesn't have to be aggressive. No. Nope. Yeah. But that will truly show you what you're in. Mm. And I truly believe that that will give you the courage and the strength to make some choices. You've just got to start. Just start. Um, and I would say uh, if you've just gotten out, just be so, 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 so patient with yourself. Yeah. Um, that's the one thing I look back. Well, there's lots of things, but that's a biggie that I look back and I wish I had done is be more compassionate towards myself. Because when you really like, it, especially if it's been really bad and then you, you just get out yeah, the amount of confusion and like, it's a whirlwind. I remember I would be around people and literally like, like completely shut down, you know? And feel like something was terribly wrong with me. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I would just say like, no, it's going to be crazy. And it's going to feel like your world is completely out of control. And you, you're going to, because you're so hard where I should believe that you are the problem. You're going to want to blame yourself all the time and fix yourself. And just, just love yourself like as much as you can. Just love yourself. No. Oh. Such good advice. Well, thank you so much. Um, and if people want to, you know, reach out to you or, or follow you or they'll be intrigued by your story, what is your Instagram handle? It's Catherine, so K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E um, dot Melinda. Perfect. I will put that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable. And I'm sure plenty of people are listening and thinking, oh, me too. And oh my gosh, so interesting. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Take care. Bye.